Time now for Financial Friday on WOMI with your host, Drew Watson, sponsored by Align Wealth Management. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So Fridays brought to you by Align Wealth Management. This is a special episode this week as we will explain and examine manias and bubbles and breakouts and all sorts of madness that has gone on in the stock markets over the last several hundred years. And if you're watching at home, some of this stuff just hasn't happened uh, with Bitcoin. It can go back to the old Dutch Republic or even the South China Sea seafaring companies over the past hundreds of years. One thing is for sure, when you deal with people's money, it is easily easy to get caught up in speculative excess and speculative bubbles as history has shown, and if past is any indication, these types of uh, risk-taking activities will be with us for a long, long time. Let's dive in first to what makes a bubble happen. First and foremost, there needs to be an excess of capital, meaning uh, money that has been generated either through hard work and the economy has gone on so well, there's just a lot of money generated, or in some cases, money can be printed by governments uh, in an effort to placate uh, restless uh, citizenry or money printed by governments to try to stave off some type of uh, potential financial calamity. But anyway, you can't really have a true stock market bubble without an ample supply of cash or reading to that fuel, just like you can't have a runaway forest fire without some type of dried tinder on the ground that makes uh, it easy to go up in smoke, so to speak, <clears throat> and create a blazing disaster. So, so throughout history, one common theme is there has been ample liquidity. When the Dutch uh, tulip bulb bubble, which is probably the one of the most famous uh, happened. Uh, the Dutch were sitting on top of a global shipping uh, leadership position, uh, only rivaled by the British, and as a very small country, they uh, thrived with trade, and they had had decades of very, very, very good returns and cash coming into that country. Also, likewise, with the uh, South Seas uh, investment bubble, it happened in Britain. Britain had been making money hand over fist as a leading trading and shipping country on the globe. That excess liquidity and the money that people made uh, provided some fuel um, for that. If you think about the Roaring Twenties, uh, that's the nickname for that decade for several reasons. The one is the economy was just rip-roaring along and there was ample liquidity. Uh, the same thing really could be said for the tech uh, dot-com bubble that happened uh, just right around the turn of this century. Uh, the 1990s were a time of uh, prolific success in U.S. businesses. People were flush with cash, and they put it in stocks that literally uh, could double within a week. Now, 
the question is, are we in a bubble situation for something like cryptocurrency? We are sitting in an economy that has seen ample liquidity poured into it. People that have been fortunate enough to work during the pandemic have made money, had no real ways to spend their money with the economy closed down, maybe outside of investing or a few other projects. And also the U.S. government provided ample liquidity uh, for people who lost their jobs, but also for business owners, businesses, etc., and state and local governments. So all this could be setting up for what could be viewed, uh, looking back at this historically, as a prime time for a pre-bubble environment. Psychologically, what goes on when people are flush with cash, a lot of them want to uh, look at making more uh, on that cash than they simply could in the bank. And with any type of animal spirits or appetite for risk-taking, they see potential uh, low-hanging fruit. and, And all that it takes sometimes is is a few success stories uh, that become well-publicized or word-of-mouth traveled to make more people want to get on board in the speculative process. Uh, This can be seen in some of the areas I've just highlighted in the past, but certainly one thing is clear. Even in the digital age, human instincts have not changed a lot probably over the last... uh, several hundred years uh, and maybe even thousands of years. You know, I think once we became a society that broke up uh, the divisions of labor uh, and we had ample uh, food to eat and shelter over our heads, probably more speculative risk-taking financially took hold than in parts of our earlier history where we may have been driven uh, for risk-taking just trying to get food on the plates for ourselves and our families and or shelter over our heads for those same key people in our lives. So that's a backdrop on what kind of primes the pumps, so to speak, for a lot of these uh, manias. It's excess liquidity and ample cash available. So either from a good economic boon like the Dutch and the British had in the uh, and we had in the uh, dot com era, or it could be from other other speculative uh, excesses. In our next segment, we'll go into a little bit more detail on each one of these, and we'll finally wrap the show with what to look for and a reiteration of how to stay away from a bubble when it is inflating right under our feet. You're listening to Financial Fridays, brought to you by Lion Wealth Management, and we'll be back after a word from our sponsors. What do you want to do when you grow up? When we were young, it's a question we were often asked. As we get older, our passions become clearer, our pursuits become careers, and if we're diligent, we begin to plan for the life we want to live. That's why at Ameriprise Financial, we ask, what's most important to you? Starting with our confident retirement approach, your Ameriprise Financial Advisor will ask questions that will help you arrive at a customized plan that can help you realize your goals today, tomorrow, and throughout retirement. With the right financial advisor, life can be brilliant. 
Call Align Wealth Management, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc., today at 270-684-8424. That's 270-684-8424. Office is located at 2708 New Hartford Road in Owensboro, Kentucky. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Hello and welcome back to Financial Fridays, brought to you by Align Wealth Management. And this is our special on manias, maniacs, bubbles, and other market turmoils from history. As we said in our first segment, we dive a little bit deeper into some of the more famous bubbles that have happened uh, over time. I won't go kind of chronologically, and we won't be able to cover every single bubble that's happened, as there has been a lot of so-called bubbles or mini-bubbles out there. We'll, We'll try to stick with the most famous and try to put a little historical context behind it. Also... I'm going to start with the bubble that built up uh, during the 20s and culminated with the big crash of 29. The story goes, and uh, it's anecdotal, that uh, John D. Rockefeller was uh, going for his shoe shine in the late 20s, and the shoe shine man uh, was giving Mr. Rockefeller uh, stock tips on where to put his money. Now, this story has been told anecdotally that it was James uh, J.P. Morgan in that chair uh, or Rockefeller. But you get the sense that uh, the lead-up to the big market crash was based on a lot of the great economic expansion and money made in the 20s and the freewheeling, risk-taking environment the Roaring Twenties uh, had here in this country. Coming off the back of uh, World War One, uh, Europe was mostly decimated. Uh, Even the uh, winners uh, of the war, if there are any winners, were saddled with a lot of debt. The U.S. uh, began to uh, its ascent to preeminence um, in the 20th century during that decade, and that fueled a lot of the excesses in the 1920s. There's an interesting character uh, from the 20s named Jesse Livermore, who was, uh, like, his nickname was Boy Plunger, and he was a very famous uh, stock uh, speculator and uh, made lots of money. Back in the 20s, the status symbol for the ultra-rich was not a Gulfstream jet, but it was your very own set of Pullman cars that could be put on any type of train. And uh, you could travel down the East Coast uh, out to California in the luxury of your very own custom Pullman cars like the Rockefellers, the Morgans had, and even Jesse Plunger, uh, a speculator that grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, in the very hard scrabble streets, uh, achieved that height before the market uh, turned on him. But how did people like uh, Livermore, um, the boy Plunger, make all this money? It was the ability to buy stocks have the market was had a bunch of cash chasing just a few companies. Prices continued to levitate and continue to go up uh, based on the back of more money going in. And then suddenly on an October uh, day in 29, it all changed, wiping out uh, not only the speculators but the vast uh, fortunes and net worths of it, 
individuals that had put money in the market and began what is known as the Great Depression. Likewise, uh, in the Middle Ages, in the Dutch Republic, there was what most uh, trained financial people uh, learned in college was probably the most famous and ridiculous speculative bubbles in the tulip bulb trade. Uh, Holland, as I said earlier in the first segment, was flush with cash. Uh, they had become an economic seagoing superpower in the 1600s. And what did their citizenry have to do with all this cash and newfound wealth and preeminence? But to buy tulip bulbs and tulip bulbs of all sorts, shapes and colors and sizes would go at, on sale at auction, uh, which is a quick way to uh, instigate a, a bubble, I might add. And prices paid uh, in terms of today's dollars were probably in the millions of dollars, if you uh, put inflation in there, for a tulip bulb. Now, I am a very big supporter of the Owensboro Botanical Garden, but I cannot say that I am a master gardener at which level I can tell you how long a tulip bulb lasts and survives. It's certainly not ever, but people were paying vast sums uh, for these tulip bulbs. And as I said, they would be the equivalent in terms of millions of dollars in today's money, and it wasn't just the super rich at that time that were doing this, but the mania gripped even the, I would say, average citizens of Holland. Now, the unwinding of this said bubble came, I think, just as a realization that people were paying exorbitant prices for things that didn't look that much different than tulips. They could probably just go dig up uh, in their yard or their neighbor's yard and replant and so, to a certain extent, uh, calmer heads prevailed, but the unwinding of this excess was quite traumatic for those people who had paid, in modern terms, equivalents of millions of dollars for their tulip bulbs. And this created a calamitous crash and almost mere collapse of the Dutch economy, with which was providing the funding for the tulip bulb mania. If you want more on this, a great book to read I can recommend by esteemed professor Bernard Melkill is A Random Walk Down Wall Street as there is a very detailed chapter on the tulip bulb situation. Now let's turn our gaze to what uh, was the South Sea bubble. And a little bit later on in history, after the Dutch uh, had poured a bunch of money in, the tulip bulbs, uh, as trade with East Asia began to blossom, no pun intended, uh, into a mega, mega industry, those people in Britain who were supplying most of the seagoing ships <clears throat> to the South Seas wanted to take advantage of it and become stock investors in these South Sea companies. Now, the promise of quick riches and return uh, fleets full of crafted Asian goods that could be sold at markets in England and Europe at high premiums uh, fostered in all that cash that had been made uh, in Great Britain as they rose to prominence as the primary seagoing power on the world. Now, like any stock, in different market situations, the price can go up and 
if you've got some experience on you as a stock investor, you know prices can come down sometimes even faster than they go up. So the, the South Sea bubbles got bit up as stock investors poured all kinds of money into those investments and everything was going along just swimmingly until the economy started to turn and the markets became totally flush with Asian craft goods and even drove down the prices of some such goods, which in turn created a little bit of, um, you know, non-returns and substandard returns. And as people wanted to exit the business, selling begat selling and ultimately drove the price of the speculative business into the ground. Now, what is fact is, is many, many English men and women lost their life savings in this when, in fact, other types of businesses like shipbuilding in general or mining or other mills continue to generate very strong returns, study returns, for decades, if not centuries. So that brings us to the dot-com bubble, which probably should be fresh in most listeners' minds. As we were going through the heady times of the late 90s uh, with the uh, Clintons trying to uh, produce a Camelot 2.0 in Washington, D.C., things in the U.S. were very good economically. Uh, We had a balanced budget for the first time in a long time, and cash was plentiful. Out on the West Coast, in a place called Silicon Valley that most people had never heard of just 10 years before, Entrepreneurs and wizards of the digital age were coming up with new technology seemingly at a weekly pace and inventing things to make our life easier, make our work life more productive, faster, and accurate, and make our downtime much more entertaining with gaming and other types of of things. Now, as we know, the tech bubble built up month at week after week, month after month, and sometimes day to day, where every new company launched seemed to have the promise of world-changing technology. Now, money piled in to some of these startups, many of which had no customers, no revenue, and really not a good business plan, but were just built on the idea that was attractive enough to find millions and sometimes billions of dollars in funding very quickly uh, from startups and investors who didn't want to be left out. And one thing could be said, the FOMO or fear of missing out is what drives a lot of these bubbles. As time went on, things seemed to go very, very well. There were stories of people becoming millionaires literally overnight. Uh, The search was on for probably what I would call digital alchemy, being able to turn lead into gold like happened in the Middle Ages. But people were lurking for companies that could just take an idea on a sheet of paper and turn it into solid gold. This went on for several years. And eventually, once we got through the Y2K scare, the cracks in the dam began and the dot-com burst likewise in 2001 leaving many investors devastated. Now, keep in mind, there were tech companies that came out of the 01.com crash 
better than ever, but they had actual customers who paid them actually money and had products that actually worked and had been tested and became world beaters. You could insert names here like Microsoft, Apple, Oracle, Cisco Systems, um, and many more, but the list is much longer of dot-com companies that hit the wall in short order in 2001, never to be heard from again. Just check your email. You know, there was a company uh, called MindSpring that was going to, you know, uh, be the search engine uh, of choice or AOL. A small company called Google supplanted those, and now Google has become probably maybe the fourth or fifth largest corporation on earth. So that brings us to our next point, which we will finish the show, and that is, are we in the midst of another bubble in the terms of digital currency? So keep listening, and we'll be back in 60 seconds after a word from our sponsors. And remember, you're listening to Financial Fridays, brought to you by Align Wealth Management. When today is unpredictable, you need sound advice and strong support to help you stay focused on your long-term financial goals for tomorrow. Ameriprise has been guiding clients through challenging times for over 125 years. You can take comfort in working with an advisor who's backed by that strong experience and who's there to guide you with personalized, goal-based financial advice. Together, you and your Ameriprise advisor can plan your future while navigating your now. Call Align Wealth Management, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, today at 270-684-8424. That's 270-684-8424. Offices located at 2708 New Hartford Road in Owensboro, Kentucky. Hello and welcome back to Financial Fridays brought to you by Align Wealth Management. And this is a special report about bubbles, manias, maniacs, and other market gyrations that have gone on. And in this segment, we're going to take a look at maybe where we are today and how to avoid a bubble if we are in the midst of a bubble. As we said, most bubbles in history are fed by excesses of capital and cash, and certainly the facts show that right now there is more money setting in cash uh, and money markets and certificates, etc., cetera, uh, than any time in history. Uh, and we are well above maybe even uh, 50 to 75% or 100% above most normal balances that people have carried. So that cash was generated in a variety of ways. And some of it even by the U.S. government printing checks for the better part of a year and a half during the pandemic. Now, you might say, Drew, where are the potential bubbles out there? Uh, the bubbles that certainly get the most attention from um, stock market watchers and economists alike and or just uh, everyday uh, citizens is what's going on in cryptocurrency. Um, that's one thing, and I think that's very common, and we'll discuss that. But another bubble to, to look for is maybe bubbles in stock trading itself. Uh, a new trading platform called Robinhood has emerged over the last year or so, and it already has a market cap that has eclipsed 
many well-established and long-run businesses in the financial services sectors. And the stock has only been trading uh, for less than a year, and the business has been operating uh, for a very, very short time. So it's not just the crypto. It may just be the whole spirit of speculation, let's call it, or speculative trading that may be driving a bubble in the values of those companies that are behind it. So another thing that causes bubble is people give valuations to assets that aren't really uh, that valuable. As we've talked about tulip bulbs and stocks in the Depression and South Sea uh, you know, companies from, from Great Britain, let's look at really what does cryptocurrency do. Um, you know, as I've mentioned before in reports, our friends at Bank Credit Analysts in Canada, I think they define uh, Bitcoin as a solution looking for a problem. And let's keep in mind, let's separate the crypto from the technology that makes the crypto work, which is blockchain technology, which does have a very real-world application and is being used in a number of businesses very successfully as we speak. But what does really cryptocurrency do? Does it have a, uh, you know, a use out there? Now, a lot of the proponents will say this is actually real money that uh, the government can't manipulate by printing more. Well, I think that uh, one thing to consider is the supposed founder of Bitcoin uh, said there will be a set number of coins that are put out there in the universe, and uh, once you find them, uh, that's all there is. But that doesn't stop the very expensive in time, labor, and energy uh, of what we would call the crypto mining. Uh, also, this does not stop various forms of cryptocurrencies popping up almost just like mushrooms in a very uh, shadowy, moist part of your house or yard almost every night. Everything from coins uh, tied to self-fulfilling contracts like Ethereum to Dogecoin, which what purpose does it fulfill? I don't think anyone really knows. But it's clear that the proponents of these cryptocurrencies first and foremost, want it out of the reach of governments or central banks. One thing to consider, even if Bitcoin prices were to go to over the $100,000 level, it's being quoted in dollars, U.S. dollars. And if things really, really, really get bad out there um, and you need to go to the store to buy some food, it's going to be hard to break your 100,000 Bitcoin coin down for change uh, at your local grocery store or general merchandiser. So most experts are universal in their condemnation of these type of cryptocurrencies from the standpoint that they don't feel they serve any real purpose other than it has made it easier for illicit transactions to go on and cyber criminals to demand currency in this wild west of currencies. 
There's also controversy of whether or not the so-called stable coins really have the assets that they say they do to back up Bitcoin to dollar conversions, all of which would indicate that at best these are very speculative trading assets and at worst something else may be brewing. Now let's shift our gaze for a minute at the likes of some of these exchanges that have popped up as the aforementioned Robinhood, uh, as I discussed. I think it's clear if you look at the volume of transactions that are being done by uh, millions of people each and every day that have come into money during the pandemic, either through their hard work or government handouts or a combination of both. Now, true investors are in it for the long run and typically are more buy and hold. If you talk to the likes of the wealthiest people on earth like Warren Buffett or even going back to Morgan and Rockefeller before him, how those people built their wealth was buying companies that made a lot of money, that is generated earnings, over a long, sustained period of time, ups and downs in the economy. Sometimes they'd buy the stock more expensive, sometimes cheaper. But they held these assets for a long, long time, usually eight years uh, minimum, uh, sometimes multi-generationally, and that's how they built wealth. Wealth and sustainable wealth has not been generated uh, ever through buying and selling within uh, intraday transactions. And you may get a flash in the pan and make some money, but that's a far cry from what the Buffetts, the Morgans and the, the Rockefellers have done in years past. So keep in mind all the activity that may be going on on these platforms may also be a version of bubble uh, mindset in and of itself. And the more people are likely to pull the trigger, uh, that's not sustainable in a market downturn in that eventually uh, you run out of bullets, so to speak, when the stock goes low enough and your transaction costs exceed even what you may have in your account. So this has just been a special segment from Financial Fridays brought to you by Lion Wealth Management on the bubbles, the manias, the maniacs, and other market events that have happened historically. We'll be back same time, same station next week. Until then, have a great weekend and enjoy yourself. This is WOMI Owensboro. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.